Stop doing the thing. God, you motherfucker. What did I do? Not you, the computer. Your computer, your laptop, your My... fossil. Listen. <laughs> your fossil of a laptop. How long is that? How long have you had that thing? Um, Before college? Sophomore year of college. That's over a decade now, I think. We don't have to talk about it. Dude. Motherfucker. Anyway, how's it going, everybody? Welcome to Tall and Short with Tim and Tony. He's Tim. And he's Tony. <laughs> and this is a stupid computer. It's, luckily, we're recording on my laptop and not yours. Yeah, I'm pretty, I don't know if yours could handle no. any of this. <laughs> I think my computer would probably fry up and just burst into burst of flame. <laughs> uh, well, I've got a special topic for you this week, Tony. It's not another serial killer, is it? Thankfully, no. Thank God. Thankfully, no. I wanted to cover a different type of topic. We've covered, especially me in a lot of cases, I've covered sinister, spooky, nefarious stuff, you know? Yeah. So it's just like... Yeah, that's more your area of expertise on this than mine. Hold on a second. The, the table's the table's moving. The table's moving. There, there we goes. go. It clicked. I'm going to keep that in. That's... Yep, the... Our, we have a table in between us, and the legs were not properly secured on my end. They were... I was yeah. like, uh-oh. <laughs> As I was, there's no monsters, no killers, but I do have some really cool mythical folklore for you. Last week, we talked about Nessie up mm -hmm. in Scotland. Well, we are not leaving Scotland. We're going to be moving a little bit more to the northeast, and I want to talk about the fairy flag of Dunvegan as well as some very other neat little heirlooms that are from a family in Scotland. What was it, the fairy? The fairy flag of Dunvegan. Got a whole thing about this. Ah, there it is. First off, I want to talk about the location. Okay. As I said, we're going to Scotland, specifically mm -hmm. to Dunvegan, which is a little village located up on the Isle of Skye in western Scotland. Northwestern, up in the Hebrides. Up in those... Uh, Kind of like a little archipelago sort of thing up mm -hmm. in the northwest. It is home to uh, Dunvegan Castle, which is the primary residence of the MacLeod of the MacLeods, who's sort of like the high chieftain of the clan MacLeod. Yeah. If you're familiar with the name, uh, have you ever seen Highlander? There can be only one. Connor MacLeod, the very same. Nice. They, they are a... The clan MacLeod is a Highland Scottish clan... With the branch that we'll be focusing on is based out of Dunvegan. There is another branch being in Harris, no relation, and another two branches of the clan being of Lewis and Rasse. Got okay. quite a it, 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 the the tree the the tree literally like branched off in a bunch of places. I had yeah. I had to I had to be like uh, that's awesome. This is some almost Game of Thrones style insanity on. Who's yeah. cousins to who? So I said, I'm just mm -hmm. going to stop. You never mess with a European family tree. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But the the McClouds themselves... <laughs> Tony took a sip out of his new water bottle, and he's got, giving me a look like, oh, did that pick up on the mic? I don't know. We'll find out. <laughs> so, anyway, most of the McLeod tradition actually starts with one person. The name of Lode. L-E-O-D. Not much is known about Lode, except it is traditionally thought he was born around 1200 CE, that his father was Olaf the Black. What you giggling at? I have five tabs open and my computer froze. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Well, it looks like the, the fairies have struck, Tony. 
gremlins. Well, we'll worry about Tony's computer as I continue to talk about load, shall we? So let your computer take a load off. Uh. (laughs) As I said, his father was Olaf the Black, and that load was raised by his father's friend and ally, Paul Balkason, who was the sheriff, or more like a governor, really, of the Isle of Skye. When Lode got older and Paul Balkason had died, Lode was given a vast amount of land, including Harris, which is a, not really like another island, but a territory on one of the islands up that way, as well as the Isle of Skye. Okay. Yeah. And mostly mostly due to, um, well, Olaf the Black was, a, I would argue, a warrior. He was off fighting yeah. all the time. I mean, so. with a name like Olaf the Black... Like, he sounds like a villain of How to Train Your Dragon. Yeah. And it was most... And I was like, how did he get a name? He had dark, dark hair. That's the only reason why he was given the moniker Olaf the Black. Simpler times. Simpler I know, times. right? <laughs> I mean, it was like Olaf the Spiky. His hair was all done up in spikes or something. Yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> Sid and, Vicious the Spiky. <laughs> but Paul Balkison, you know, he he was essentially a landed man, a gentryman who yeah. had... Who had who had all the land, and he raised Lode, is how the stories have gone. Yeah. And Lode was given these vast amount of land. He he would also marry the daughter of Makhild Armwin, which brought the rest of the Isle of Skye under one person. Truly... Unifying it. Truly unifying families. This Again, all this medieval stuff. If you marry your 15th cousin... Uh, that's how it seems. Uh, it's probably lower number than 15th, but you know. I'm not going to go into speculation. I did not look into that. With his wife, Lode was said to have had several children, including two sons with the names Tormod and Torquil. From Tormod, this is where the MacLeods of Harris and Donvegan descend, and from Torquil, the MacLeods of Lewis and Rasse. Now, here's where some uh, craziness happens, because there has been some debate over whether or not Torquil was actually the son of Lode, or if that he was actually the great-grandson of Lode. Keep in mind, again, this is... They say that Lode was born in, you know, 1200 CE, so... Keep, yeah, no, that's just the end of Game of Thrones. Yeah. Keep, <laughs> yeah, keep in mind that there's the records are not, well, are not really well done back then, especially up in 11th century Scotland. Or is it 13th? I never got that right. 13th would be the 1200s. Yeah, 13th century. Yeah. I always mess those up. Anyway. How do you mess that up? I always get that right. That's the one thing I get, I, I've mastered At in least history. you're up on something. <laughs> historically speaking, right. <laughs> historically speaking, Lode may not have been real, actually, due to there not being many records about him. He's also considered the progenitor of the MacLeods by members of the Clan MacLeod in the 17th century. And a nice little sidebar. The current MacLeod of MacLeods is Hugh Magnus MacLeod, the 30th chief. He took up the title in 2007 when his own father passed away. Hugh has been restoring Dunvegan Castle and its gardens so it can be a great tourist attraction, and as recently as 2020, I found a Daily Mail UK article where Mr. MacLeod sought to rewild the MacLeod estate with nice. over 370,000 native trees across the 42,000 acreage. I'm 100% for that. I and love, rena- what, what, what's it called, renaturalizing? Rewilding. Rewilding, yeah. I love rewilding stuff. 
And in fact, speaking of, I actually want to now talk about the castle itself. <clears throat> and it is built on the summit of a rock overlooking the eastern shore of Loch Dunvegan. Now, when I say nice. a, now when I say a rock, I don't mean like a little measly thing. I mean like it's like a Scottish rock, a literal, a literal fucking a giant throw it from a faraway distance rock. Yeah, like it looks a giant rock that turned into a hill. Exactly. Yeah, it looks just like that, and like uh, that scene in Hellboy Two. Yes. Yeah, but that was in Ireland, I think. Yes. Whatever the case. This, but it was a very it's a very classic fantasy setting i mean yeah the grounds may have been a fortified camp before the initial castle was built which i can see that you have oh, a high easily. vantage yeah. point and then starting in the 1220s the castle would slowly be built and piecemealed over the centuries like oh we've got the main hall here and then here's another tower right here yep. we're gonna put the gate right here there's the portcullis hey there's the fairy tower and you know so on and so forth in the 19th century, it was given a mock medieval remodel. So, you know, column A, column B of modern and traditional. So, some of the modern 19th century Victorian amenities while also focusing on the traditional looks back then. And uh, my favorite thing about this, out of everything, is the fact that this castle is the oldest continuously inhabited location in Scotland, the same family for over 800 years. Jesus. Yeah, dude. One another cool thing about this, you can actually book a trip to the castle. Airbnb it. I not now. You can take a guided tour, seeing all the various artwork, tapestries, and treasures. Getting a chance to see the rolling green hills, learning the history of Clan MacLeod, as well as the castle itself. You can even take a nice little boat ride to see a local seal colony at the lock. Nice. As well as various wildlife in the area. I. I would be okay with all that. That would be actually pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Not to mention, is your laptop is your laptop working or... Listen, I'm not I, talking I, about... I am legitimately asking, like, not out of, like, a, oh... It's attempting. All right, I actually want to show you uh, Castle Dunvegan. Like, it, this is one of the shots of it, a good aerial shot. There's a couple other shots that do it way better justice, but this is a good one. Uh, whenever you get a chance. Oh, okay. I was like, why... I'm sending it to your phone. Oh, that's so pretty. I know, right? I want to live there. Not to mention you can walk through the formal gardens or eat at some of the re- at the restaurants at the castle. And when you compare it to the rest of the Isle of Skye, Dunvegan Castle is an oasis. The Isle of Skye having, you know, these barren moorlands and being very mountainous and rugged. Mm-hmm. But when I, when I saw Barren, I was like... Are we certain? It's not like what we think of Baron. You and I are from central um, central United States. Yeah, when we, think we of, know Baron. When we think of Baron, we think of deserts and not a whole lot of growth. Plains where you can literally see the other state. Yeah. That's, I thought they were like, oh, it's, you know, barren wastelands. Like, not, now, like, there's greenery, but it's not like trees. It's mostly, like, low grass, and you can clearly see the gray <clears throat> rocks peeking up out over. It's... True. Looking at the Isle of Skye, I thought I was looking at a classic fantasy story once again. Just it's. Yeah. I mean, it's Scotland. Yeah. Oh yeah, I've never been. I want to go. It really looks like a beautiful country, and that's something I want to mark off my bucket list. Yeah. And then, of course, I mentioned our treasures from earlier. Because, I mean, what's a castle without some cool treasures? There are three main treasures or heirlooms. That the Clan MacLeod hold most dear. We're gonna start with the gonna start with 
the Dunvegan Cup. It's a ceremonial cup made out of wood and plated in silver. It's a very unique type of cup where the rim is square while the body is rounded. It has several etchings in silver with images of circles, triangles, and the Christian trinity. The cup also has four feet that look like armored legs. Nice. So it's a very... It's very villainy sounding. It's a very unique looking vessel, that's for certain. And there appears to be a few small holes and pits that are in the side of the cup, which may have uh, been small gems and glass or coral beads that have fallen out over time. And keep in mind, this thing is... This thing's a very... This thing's a relic. This thing is an ancient piece. Yeah. Like, you want to talk about artifact. <clears throat> I'll send you that to just to check it out. That... Okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's an interesting piece. There That's are... Bizarre. Yep. Up on the... Uh, on the on the silver rim of the cup, there are some black letter or gothic script inscriptions. Yeah. And if you're familiar with that, it's that blocky, everything's very similar lettering that you see in a lot of old medieval manuals. Mm-hmm. Ah. And these were all written in Latin. Sir Walter Scott made an attempt to translate the inscriptions. I actually had to go to Wikipedia for this one. And his his translation was into English, was Ufo, the son of John, the son of Magnus, prince of man, the grandson of Liahia, Macrainel. I'm definitely absolutely upsetting um, anybody who might know Scottish Gaelic right now. I am so sorry. Trust in the Lord Jesus that their works will obtain mercy. O'Neill Oimni made this in the year of God 993. So, but... So it's a little old... But that might not have been the right translation. Around the same time, with Sirs Daniel Wilson and Eugene O'Curry, they both had drastically different translations. I want to see if I have those here. Wilson's amended rendering was Katharina ni Rinel Uxor Johannes Meg Megur Principis de Framiring. That's all Latin. <laughs> Anno Domini 1430. Nine, oculi ominum et disperant domine et tu das escram illorum et in temporal opportuno. I'm usually better at Latin okay, than this. Okay, so I'm just going to paint the picture from my end of the table here. <laughs> you were doing the hand gestures like you were in Catholic church. Speaking like, you looked like leisure pope with what <laughs> you're wearing. The leisure bishop? <laughs> no, no. Straight up leisure pope. Go on pope. Okay. Go full pope on this. Walter, uh, Sir Walter Scott thought that the cup was of Hebridean origin from 1993. And as I said, the Hebrides is that um, archipelago sort of location up in northwest Scotland, which you see branch off yeah. pretty close to, near closest to um, Ireland. Wilson considered the cup to be Irish in origin, speaking off of that again. I'm not even going to reread those again because uh, no, no, that's going to hurt my ahead. head. Nope, I'm not going to. I hurt my brain trying to reread that. Let's see. The cup was gifted. The cup was gifted to Sir Rory Moore MacLeod, the 15th chief of the MacLeods, from the O'Neills of Ulster, which is up in Northern Ireland, as a token of thanks for Sir Rory Moore's support against Queen Elizabeth I's invading forces. Because this is at a time when it was still that English Civil War period wherein 
it was Protestants versus Catholics. And Queen Elizabeth I was a very, very powerful Protestant yeah. who, wanted a, who wanted a Protestant government. And Ireland wanted to remain Catholic. That whole thing. Yeah, it was a whole thing. I do not want to get into it because that's... Yeah, this isn't uh, <clears throat> Dr. Crow's history class today. Nah, not today. It felt like I was going into some of his classes, A though. little bit, yeah. yeah. I actually managed to find some fairy-related stories about the Dunvegan Cup. Uh, they were mostly from stories that were written... Mostly from stories in a couple of books that were written by R.C. McLeod, who was something of a family historian at the time around 1927. He wrote the stories and, and considers them to be fantastical stories and not real history. But since they were part of tradition, he thought, eh, I kind of like the idea of these stories being included. It adds to the mystical nature behind the McLeod family. And this is, this is the direct story from R.C. McLeod's The McLeods of Dunvegan. <clears throat> Two brothers who were on very bad terms, were joint tenants of the farm in Luskenter in Harris. One of these was the foster son of a witch, who lived in a cottage on the farm. She had a son named Lurin, who possessed some of his mother's magical powers, and could see things which were not revealed to the sight of ordinary mortals. He was also the swiftest runner in the country. As the cornfields were not fenced, it was necessary that the cattle should be watched night and day, to prevent them from doing injury to the crops. Uh-huh. One, one night, <laughs> one night, Lorin, with some other young men, was employed to the work. None of the others could see what he saw. A fairy mound had opened. The fairies came out and danced for a time on the green grass. They then came to the herd. The witch had put a charm on her foster son's cattle, and the fairies could not hurt them. But they selected two beasts belonging to the other brother, killing them, skinned them, and leaving the skins full of offal on the ground, held a great feast in the fairy mound. This happened again and again. Almost every morning the skins of two beasts were found, and it was always the animals belonging to one brother which were taken. Lurin, who alone could have explained the mystery, held his tongue, but the farmer who had lost so heavily was firmly persuaded that it was his brother who had done the mischief, and uh, brooded... Uh and, brooding over his injuries, resolved to revenge himself when an opportunity came. One night, Loren did a bold thing. He followed the fairies into the hill, and sitting close to the entrance, partook of the fairies' banquet. When the feast was over the cup, filled with wine was passed around. The cup came to Loren. He seized it, spilt the wine, knowing that it was death to a mortal to drink the fairies' wine, and he fled for his life. Infuriated, the fairies pursued him, but his swiftness of foot stood him in good stead, and he gained a stream which flowed down the hill near the fairy mound. Having crossed this, for the moment he was safe, for no fairy can cross running water. He made his way to his mother's cottage. She cast potent spells over the house, and this made it impossible for the fairies to enter. For some time, Lorin never ventured to go out, unless his mother had put a protecting spell on him. But one day, he forgot, and went out with no charms on him. The fairies found him and killed him, and so avenged the theft of the cup. His mother, hating the thing which had cursed her son's death, gave it to her foster son. Thus it came to Luskentire. Meanwhile, 
the quarrel between the two brothers grew worse and worse. And at last, Neil Glundug, the one who had lost so heavily, killed his brother and seized all of his possessions, including the cup. The witch went to Dunvegan and told the chief the whole story. Malcolm came to Luskintyre, hanged the murderer, and confiscated all he possessed, taking the cup, or horn, to Dunvegan. And that's the first story of about the Dunvegan Cup. Nice. Mm-hmm. So, basically, don't fuck with fairies. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, Lauren was like a cow herder. <laughs> my, my computer had an opinion about all of that. Fair enough. Yeah. Lauren was essentially like a ranch hand. Yeah. And... The two brothers, and he was not, he was in no relation to the actual two brothers. No, he was, in he was just a third yeah. party. And he had these abilities, and that's actually, that's a that's a common thing with the fairy cup stories, is that if you drink a fairy wine, you're going to die, or you're yeah. going to be under their power. There's a... Yeah, it's a spell with something. Yeah, there's you're a You're either dead or you're a slave. Yep. Yeah. That's why I also don't give your name to the fae. There's a mm-hmm. list of, list, a list of things here. But that was the first story. The second one is mostly the same, except the ending is just a little different. So we're going to jump ahead yeah. a little bit. And it goes such as, it relates, it relates how the chief held a great banquet at Raudel in Harris. Among the guests was Neil Glendub of, Linca, of Luskinter, a quarrelsome man whom his neighbors detested. While the feast was going on, a quarrel broke out between Neil and Magnus, the chief's youngest son. Neil did not dare attack the son at his father's board, surrounded as he was by clansmen loyal to their chief, and perhaps fearing that he might do something fatal to himself. He sprang up and rushed for the door of the room. Magnus, a hot-headed boy, also jumped up, and reaching the door first, barred Neil's exit. The latter, in a fit of ungovernable fury, drew his dagger, killed Magnus with a single blow, and then sought safety in flight. He gained the top of a rock, on which he made his stand. With him he had his bow and a quiver in which were twelve arrows. For a while he kept his pursuers at bay, killing a man with each arrow. When his last arrow was expended, he drew his sword and made a desperate resistance. But at last he was overpowered, seized, and condemned to be flayed alive. Orders were issued that all his family should be put to death and his home burnt, all his possessions, including the cup, being confiscated. I like the first one better. (laughs) (laughs) One thing... Less murder and flaying alive. Uh, Sounds like the Boltons got a hold of him on that one. Yeah. (laughs) Kidding. (laughs) That's one character. Kind of going off the Game of Thrones here, I love this. I did enjoy the Game of Thrones series. Well, except for that last part. The last... It it, it really petered out near the end, which is unfortunate, but Ramsay Bolton... He oh, was a, God, he was I've, a good villain. I hated him so much, but it was like, I loved to hate him because he was so irredeemably hideous of a monster. He was he was pure I, psychotic. I will give Game of Thrones credit where credit is due. The villains that they have are magnificent. They're... Like, Joffrey, Bolton, uh, the Night King. The Night King, yeah. Cersei, like... Fantastic villains. I can understand. Well, I can understand some of the motivations on them. They, yeah, but yeah. They're they're not just a two dimensional cartoony one. They have no. some three dimensionality to them. Yeah. But they're still a little cartoony. I mean, come on, flaying people alive is because is your thing. Like, goddamn. 
I mean, if that's what you're into, I, <laughs> I ain't gonna yuck your yum, I guess. Nah. But another treasure is Sir Rory Moore's drinking horn. This is gonna be a good one. Oh boy. It's an ox horn that has been tipped in silver around the wi- widest part of the rim, nice. and it's likely from the 10th century and Norse in origin. But some think it's from some think it's from the 15th century. She's <laughs> yeah, that's I, quite a gap. My money's still five hundred years. My money's still on the 10th century, just just because of how it looks. There's some people are like, oh, it's from the 15th century, but there's only like a handful of people who think that. Most think it is 10th century. Yeah, so. The rim is thick and has seven medallions imprinted onto it. Three of the medallions have beasts on them, while the other three have detailed knotwork patterns, and then that seventh medallion has a combination of the two. The main traditional custom for the drinking horn is for every incoming MacLeod of MacLeods to drink wine from it in one go. Oh, so so initiation is, uh, is a chug. Yes. So when they, uh, when they're doing lines, so it's usually like the firstborn, mm-hmm. essentially, you know, medieval rites is how they're still going yeah, off of it. Yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, but I, some of them actually were, you know, grandson to granddaughter. It's a whole thing. I, I looked into a lot of it based oh, yeah. upon how, um, how the families would go. And when they, when the heir apparent was to, you know, 18, 19, when they yeah, were come a, of age. They would have to drink this. It was to prove that they were worthy of the title MacLeod of MacLeods. And this thing can hold two imperial pints, which is a little over one liter. <laughs> in one, and you gotta chug that in one round. In one go. I'd like a liter of cola. I like a liter of cola, there, Farva. <laughs> <laughs> Can we get this McLeod a liter of cola? See that liter of cola. <laughs> uh, now I'm not sure if the tradition is still upheld today, but I mean, if it is, I really hope it is because that's gotta be st- that's if gotta be is, funny I'm gonna here. Try and persuade someone that I have McLeod in me so I can see <laughs> if I can do it. A- apparently, though, by 1906, a a portion of the horn has been filled in. So the draft isn't as much as it used to be. Lame. Yeah, I don't think it was as much, but I think it still holds about a little under a liter now, I think, but that's about it. I have a I actually have a funny little side story about the horn. Apparently in 1956, Queen Elizabeth II and Prince Philip visited Dunvegan Castle. John MacLeod the grandson and successor of the 28th MacLeod of MacLeods, Dom Flora MacLeod, was challenged to drink from the horn, which had been filled with wine. He downed the drink in a minute and 57 seconds. Nice. <laughs> so that's John. Challenge Mac- accepted. Yeah, so John MacLeod was the 29th, so he is the father of Hugh Magnus. So I'm going to sidebar your side note. Sure. I feel like we should do an experiment. <laughs> do a liter of alcohol and see if we can beat the uh, beat the what was it? Minute and fifty-seven seconds. Minute fifty-seven seconds. I, I feel like <laughs> I'm I'm game. I'm, I'm gonna die, but you know. Uh, 
I'll drink a I'll drink a Moscato or something. I'll do that. I just got rid of I just drank the rest of my DiSerrano, so <laughs> It wouldn't be like whiskey or rum. That would absolutely wreck you. I could do. No, it'd be fine. I don't want to do that. I'll take a. I'll take a liter of wine any day. Like that, I'll drown that quick. I do have some stories also surrounding the horn as well. There's a. There's stories. I'm sure that, there's a few stories that people can't remember either. The couple ones that I found were again through R.C. McLeod because he. He did a lot of the stuff in the 1900s and 1920s, yeah. wherein. He was gathering up information for the McLeods because everything yeah. was hearsay and oral tradition for the longest time. Yeah, so he wanted something that he could read back after drinking from the horn and be like, oh, yeah, that Likely. happened. Likely. <laughs> What's even better is that he actually, he was, I think, the th- he was, I think, the third son of one of the McLeod of McLeods. And he went and he wanted to become a, a historian, a professor, so he... Like going to the monastery when you're being the third Thor oldest or in, in that sort of thing. There, let's see. One story about the horn is that Malcolm, the third chief, was returning to Dunvegan from a little rendezvous with the wife of another family. Shortly after, he shortly after that night, he encountered a dangerous bull that was attacking local people from a nearby forest. Something you're not entirely unfamiliar with, I would assume. Yeah, well, you know, I don't have to. (laughs) (laughs) Armed with nothing but a dirk and no armor, Malcolm fought against the bull before slaying it and then cutting a horn off, carrying it back to Dunvegan to be turned into a drinking horn. (laughs) I mean, what else do you do after that? This also led to the formation of the McLeod's heraldic... That's a bad word. I'm going to try that one again. Heraldic? (laughs) Yep. This also led to the formation of the McLeod's heraldic crest and motto, a bull's head with the phrase, hold fast. I was really hoping you were about to say, hold my beer. <laughs> Actually, hold my horn. Yeah. Wait, wait, that, wait no. hang on a second. No. Phrasing. No. Oh, Phrasing is a thing we're not talking about. No. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I walked into that one. Well, at least oh. you didn't walk into the horn. I mean, you were like, yeah, and you were like, you and I were like, nope, phrasing, nope. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Grab life by the horn. No, please don't. Uh, I mean, he did. I mean, Malcolm did in this case with that story. Another story is of Tormod, the 12th chief. This is another Tormod, not the son of Lode, but like the further down the way. I was thinking Tormund from Game of Thrones. (laughs) She's a beautiful woman. The big woman's still here. (laughs) Uh, let's see. But another story is of Tormud, the twelfth chief, visiting Argil, the chief of Clan Campbell at Inverare Castle. The names of some of these places, I love it. Yeah, no it's kidding. Mental, it's vocal gymnastics that I'm having to really go through. What That Robin Williams bit about drinking with a Scotsman. <laughs> Don't Man, do it. You'll never fucking understand the food. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Any Scottish, any Scottish people listening right now? I hope you're having a laugh at our expense because we're stupid Americans. Anyway, Torment learned while being entertained that one of his own clansmen was a convicted criminal and was sentenced to death. With a punishment being that the convicted was to be gored to death by a bull. That is not a pleasant thing. No, it is not. <laughs> Back, I've, man. I've seen the running of the bulls. The no. <laughs> man, I'll tell you, medieval level um, 
sentencings, they were torture. I mean... I mean, flayed alive, your entire family and historical home is burned to the ground, or you get gored by a bull. Man, it makes uh, death by firing squad seem like a walk in the park. Makes that look humane. Yeah. <laughs> Tormid tried to appeal to Argil, but the opposing chief said that the sentence must be carried out. Tormid wouldn't stand for this, so he jumped into the execution ring, and armed with his dirk, he fought the bull by grabbing its horns, yelled out, hold fast, and upon slaying the fearsome beast with his dirk, Tormid saved his fellow clansmen from death. And if I remember correctly, dirks aren't large swords. They're they're a good size dagger, daggers. About a good what seven, eight inch dagger. Nothing yeah, major. Yeah, which makes it all the more impressive. He KO'd a bull with it. Oh yeah, big time. Because because I've seen I've seen bulls uh, during you know the bull ma- during the bullfighting matches and everything the old ways, and they've got swords sticking out of them. I'm like, yeah. I mean, I had. Side note, side story. Um, I used to raise Texas Longhorns, and our bull, Snowy Mountain, uh, was he was easily a ton and a half when we finally when we sold him off. But he, I know I ain't fighting that thing. And his little brother, his his steer brother Waffle, mm-hmm. was on record. Or was on track to become the record breaker, the world record breaking uh, tip to tip horns. Damn. And, I remember Waffle. And their pasture mate before we bought them was the world record holder. Ah, jeez. And Waffle, when we sold them off, when we sold the property off, he was the last one we could wrangle up. He broke five strands of, or five lengths of barbed wire fence and our lengths were about i think we were doing 15 feet apart mm-hmm. and he broke five lengths of that good god yeah waffle was a monster he was taller than his brother was a little bit more lean but those horns were vicious and he was tame so i can't imagine a bull that was pissed off and was out to kill you oh yeah and that's the thing about cows and bulls they are stupid tough like yeah. they are dumb tough yeah they mm-mm. our neighbor had he was a hispanic gentleman and he had he had mexican fighting he had the fighting bulls that oh. they use in spain oh wow he had coriantas Ooh. and he had <clears throat> he had one bull. It was his big breeding bull because this thing, he made Snowy look like a freaking wuss. This thing was a champion, wasn't it? This thing put a dent in a Dodge 3500 Dually that had a brush guard and he broke the radiator. Jesus Christ. Yeah. This, I think, oh God, I can't remember his name. Miguel was the neighbor. Miguel, I think last time he weighed that monster, he was pushing 3,600 pounds. 3,600 pounds. How do you weigh a bull, by the way? How do you weigh it? How do, you, do you actually have like a... You, literally, you take your empty trailer to a semi-truck weight, 
and you weigh how much your truck and your trailer weigh, and then you take go back home, bring the bull over. Okay, that and then you take the difference. Okay, I was curious. I did not. At least know that's that. what you do with those breeds, like those monsters. I could imagine. Because sometimes you can just take them onto a weight, like at at specialty vets, and you can just weigh them like yeah. that. But no, I, not I've with s- that. Not with Monstro. I've seen the I've seen those types of weights when you go into when you, for like the bigger dogs. Yeah, I've seen it's those. It's just for cows and horses and stuff. At okay, that, point. that makes a lot of sense. I I never knew because I've but never yeah. I've never owned horses or cows, so but, yeah. I never know. No, with some of the with Miguel's bull, you he had to literally take it to a semi truck weight. God damn! And take the difference. That is that is a lot of muscle. Yeah, that is a lot of muscle. Anyway, yeah, bulls. Don't mess with yeah. them. Do they kill you. <laughs> Unless you have a dirk and you're Scottish. I mean, have you seen have you seen some of the have you seen some of the Scottish Highlanders, dude? Mm-hmm. I Those mean pole vaults with tree trunk or tree trunks. Caper tosses. Yeah, caper tosses. I've seen those. Those those guys are those guys are brick houses on legs. And yet people make fun of them for wearing kilts. The Scots had it right because I mean it's nice having the having the bits not you know I'd say they had it right. Yeah, I'm not arguing with someone that can lift a tree up. Yep, neither. Anyway. Yeah, what were we talking about? Well, <laughs> actually, on to the final treasure itself, the flag. The fairy flag is roughly 18 inches square. It may have been a larger banner at one point. Time but... and decay. Yeah, the, yeah, so now it's about the size of a good handkerchief or bandana. But it may have been a little bit larger, like a proper yeah. banner. yeah. Probably a one that they put up in the castle, not so much outside or like a battle battlement flag. Yeah, and it is uh, it is yellow or brown in color and is made of silk. Nice. Initially, it had small golden thread crosses on it, as well as red elf dots, which elf I'm like dots. a little like a little oh. like a little like red uh, looks like red raspberry. Um, embroidery so to oh, speak. okay okay yeah yeah that's what the, that's what they call they call them elf dots just for that the makes, sake of yeah. just for the sake of the fantastic scottish i'm sending you a photo of what it looks like currently which is um i'll get Probably into that less than oh yeah that's i'll i'll look in i'll get into that as we go along like i wow. will i will put into it the golden crosses have since gone away as you can tell and there are only yeah. a few of the elf dots remaining as the flag itself has grown fragile ripped and tattered mm-hmm it is the most famous and treasured of the MacLeod's heirlooms in Dunvegan. In Scottish Gaelic, the flag actually means Ambratak Sheath, which is that just translates to the fairy flag. Because yeah. before she, we get too far in, uh, send me a picture of the horn too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Not your horn. <laughs> oh God, no, Tony, get your mind out of the gutter, man. <laughs> the ox horn. There you go, good man. Let's see. Good thing I have it all served right here, cause it's. That's I have everything here. Uh, my 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 search history is very much like yeah no you had all this. Let's see. Oh, that's ninth century, or tenth century. Very yeah, much. that's nine hundred. Absolutely, that's not. That's not fifteen hundred. No, that thing. Anyway, back to the uh, back to the flag itself. Historically speaking. The flag may have actually originated in either Rhodes or Syria in the 4th century CE. God, uh, the, even further back in time. The silken banner is alleged to have some powerful properties should it be unfurled and waved, which I will get into. 
there are quite a few stories to this. There's even actual origins on the flag's acquisition. Nice. So we actually have an origin story exactly. on it. Exactly. And they all have one thing in common. The flag is of magical origins. The first story, and this is actually somewhat grounded in reality. I say somewhat. Somewhat, yeah, as much as a fairy flag can be grounded yeah. in reality. In the first story, during the Crusades, and I actually looked into this, it would have been probably another 1200, so this was, I think, the Sixth Crusade. This was near the end of when the Crusades were going on, because yeah, it wasn't just one solid the... crusade, it was like, yeah. it was a series um, it is believed that a MacLeod was a part of, the, of a crusade to the Holy Lands. One day on his venture back home, he was treated to food, drink, and shelter from a local hermit. During this time, the hermit told the MacLeod knight about an evil spirit or witch who lived further up the trail, and that this evil spirit was said to be a destroyer of true believers and would not let any pass by unless they carried a piece of the true cross. Inexplicably, the MacLeod managed to slay the spirit, who turned out to be the daughter of thunder, Nena Fiuper, or Nena Fepen. The different translations, so to speak, different names. With her dying breath, the spirit gave the MacLeod her girdle and told him to make it into a banner. The spirit also gave the MacLeod secrets about the success and future of the family. But whatever those secrets are, or were have been have long since been lost to time the crusade story stops there and not much could be found i had another story that also is pertaining to the crusade story but the evil spirit was a separate being who was defeated and then the mcleod knight came to a river where a fairy maiden rose from the water and told him he couldn't pass the knight defeated the fairy and made good friends with her i mean come on yeah before the knight left, before the knight left, the fairy offered him a box. Inside the box were several smaller boxes, and in the inmost box was a magic banner that, when waved, would summon an army of armored men to aid the owner. She also said not to open the box for a year and a day. Otherwise, for that year and day, no crops would grow, sheep and cattle wouldn't have offspring, and children wouldn't be born. And, of course, human being human, open the box before that. Well. Here in the day. Well, don't jump ahead too far. <laughs> the knight made his way back to Dunvegan Castle in haste, presenting the box to the chief's wife. Despite the knight's warning about the box, the chief's wife opened it, and an army mm. of armored men appeared before her and the knight. Mm. The ill effects that the fairy maiden had said would happen also occurred. Despite this, the magical properties of the flag impressed the chief so much, the flag was preserved and would only be waved in times of great peril. So it's like, okay, we have access to a nuke now. The nuke has destroyed us for a year. Uh, I like it anyway, so we're going to use it only when necessary. Yeah. In case of emergency, wave flag. You have no idea how on the nose you are right now. Yeah. In other stories, the flag was given in or around Dunvegan Castle. The first of these tells the tale of a MacLeod chief who married a fairy. After 20 years of marriage, the fairy was forced to leave and return to the world of fairies. The MacLeod chief chased after her. The chase ended at the fairy bridge, where the two parted ways. 
Before she left, the fairy gave her lover a piece of fabric, imbuing it with magical abilities. She said that on the promise of the flag being waved in time of distress and peril, the fairies would aid the MacLeods on three occasions. Then, after the third wave, it is believed that the flag and the bearer will disappear. Well, it's still here, so... Mm-hmm. They still got at least one. Yep. There's an adjacent story to this tradition, interestingly, and it features a lullaby. According to tradition, on a fine autumn evening, a beautiful fairy maiden paid a visit to Dunvegan Castle. She made her way through several closed and locked doors with ease, making her way towards the nursery where the infant heir of the MacLeod chief was, lying in his cradle. The child's nursemaid was present when the fairy appeared and was powerless to do anything with some kind of magic making her unable to move. Focused on the infant, the fairy moved over to the cradle and set the child on her knee and sang to him a lullaby. This lullaby was so captivating that it was imprinted in the nursemaid's memory, and she would use this sometimes to help the child rest. It is thought that singing this lullaby over any infant of the chiefly family would be protected by the fairies during any hardships or dangers. Interestingly, if a nursemaid couldn't sing the lullaby, she wouldn't be admitted to look over the children. God. Yep. <laughs> so, there was a 200-year period where no children from Dunvegan chiefs were born in the castle. You know, going to hospital and everything. So the lullaby stopped being used, but it wasn't forgotten. Thanks to the efforts of Neil MacLeod, the clan bard. You gotta be you gotta be thankful for the bards on this I'm one. Not, uh, I'm not giving you credit for being bards. Yep. No. He had traveled around in the late 19th century, acquiring the story from several old women and compiling it into the original Gaelic. But it was translated into English by Miss Tolmy, who was a friend to R.C. MacLeod, with it being translated as such. I actually did find it, the translations, and I kind of wish. And I do kind of wish... Uh, it's an it's a interesting um, poem. It says, Behold my child, limb like the kid or fawn, smiting the horses, seizing the accoutrements of the shod horses, the spirited steeds, my little child. Oh, that I could see thy cattle fold high up on the mountainside, a green shaggy jacket about thine two white shoulders with a linen shirt, my little child. Oh, that I could behold thy team of horses men following them, serving women returning home, and the catanic sowing the corn. O tender hero whom my womb did bring forth, who did swallow from my breast, who on my knee was reared. My child it is, my armful of you, merry and plump, my bulrush, my fresh, my flesh and eggs, that will soon be speaking. Last year thou wast beneath my girdle plent of fertility, and this year, fair and playful on my shoulder, thou wilt be going round the homestead, Oh, let me not hear of thy being wounded. Gray do thou become duly. May thy nose grow sharp ere the close of the day. Oh, not the clan Kenneth art thou, oh, not the clan Con. Descendant of a race more esteemed, that of the clan Lode, of swords and armor, whose father's native land was Loklan. That's the English translation. <laughs> I can only imagine how it would... I'm betting, I'm betting it sounds a lot um, more... Sing songy in Gaelic, yeah, I'm probably sure. does. The English translation doesn't do well. <laughs> God, 
And now that was a very grim. Grim would be one way to put it. It's it's tr- it, it it was no uh, itsy bitsy spider. Yeah, it was not itsy bitsy spider. <laughs> no. no way. And now for the final story of the fairy flag. There was great rejoicing in Dunvegan Castle, because an heir was born to the chief. The nursemaid to the child was anxious to join in the festivities, so she did, leaving the child sleeping in the remote and quiet chamber. The blanket that was over the child soon fell off, and he woke up crying from the cold. No human help was nearby, but the fairies had heard the child crying. They came into the chamber and swaddled the child in one of their banners. In the mirth and merriment of the party, the revelers wanted to see the child, and thus the nurse, the child's nursemaid was found and sent to get the child. Full on, I would like to see the baby. I would like to see the child. Pretty much. When she returned with the child in this mystical blanket, and when the revelers looked upon the child, they were in awe as well as the fabric over him. Their hearts were filled by the song of the fairies, which seemed to fill the entire room. It also set forth the power that the banner could be used to save the clan three times in days of dire need. Soon, silence filled the room, and the flag was taken from the child and put into a safe place until an iron chest was made. Once the chest was made, the flag was put inside and preserved and protected for generations. Which makes sense with the, uh... Makes sense with it being an iron chest because yeah, in a lot fairies of fairies and iron don't fair, get along exactly. So to keep the so to, and once again we have a nuke here. We have to keep it protected. Yeah. So what's the best way? Lead, a big lead box. I'm gonna put that thing in a box, and I'm gonna put that thing in another box. And are you gonna mail it to yourself and smash it with a hammer? Yes. <laughs> Better save on postage first. All right. <laughs> It is also mentioned that the flag was carried into battle very frequently when the McLeod clan went to war. It was just carried into battle, like probably in the box. It wasn't going to be out and waved. With the Jimmy, un- bring the box. Bring the box, Jimmy. Don't open it. <laughs> just bring it. <laughs> we want to look at the box. The, it was brought into battle frequently with the utmost care and protection to ensure it stayed whole. Which, I mean... I wouldn't want to piss the fairies off. No. It was a gift. The chief would ride before the flag and would lay down his life for it, if it ever came to that. Apparently, being the flag bearer was also a massive honor. So, Jimmy, is a is a great honor to have you here. I'm coming to be here, sir. <laughs> is this your first battle, boy? No, nah, it's my feather. <laughs> what did I put in that cup? <laughs> <laughs> My joke was it was going to be it's his 11th battle, but he's only five. <laughs> I know, right? That was the joke. <laughs> you know what? It works either way. And regards of the flag having been waved in the past, there are for certain two times that it has been waved. Oh, so they are down to one. Yes. There, there were two battles where it was thought the flag was flown. The first, it was thought to be at the Battle of Bloody Bay in 1490. <laughs> Jesus. That pretty much says right to the point. The Battle of Bloody Bay in 1490 when the McLeods fought against the McDonald's. I mean, probably wasn't the only thing that was going to get bloody. It was probably going to be a bloody colon, too, if they were fighting McDonald's. (laughs) Did they have help from the Burger King? 
Oh, no. No, no, no. No. Now, that says the McDonald's with an M-A-C. We're thinking, you're thinking McDonald's with an M-C. MC Donald's. MC Donald's, baby. Ba da pa pa pa. We're loving it. <laughs> ba da pa pa pa. Get the flag. <laughs> RC McLeod, still with him because he was a major source. Like when I came across the books that he had, I was like, these are legitimate old stories that were recorded back then. Like, yeah. I found that I found digital um, prints of them online and the. The pages are yellowed and everything. It felt like actually going into a library back in the old days and finding the old books that were like, yeah, oh, minus this is... the amazing smell of old book. Minus the amazing smell of old book. But I could imagine it. I was like, oh, I know what this smells like. I can picture it immediately. I was getting a weird contact high, and then I woke up three days later. <laughs> that beautiful, dusty, yeah. dusty smell. That's the only dusty, well, no, dusty old cars smell good, too. But eh. dusty old books, yeah. Let's see. But R.C. McLeod thinks the flag wasn't waved at this because the McLeods were on the losing side. That's so, fair. And it is fair there. Well, if they fully lost, but if they were on the losing side and all of a sudden they started winning... Then it's like, yeah, no, maybe it was. Now, it was for sure waved at the Battle of Waternish in 1580 where the, Mac- where the McDonald's had burned a church filled with McLeods and killed all inside before proceeding to march to Dunvegan Castle. Jesus Christ, McDonald's. This is warfare, man. <laughs> Ronald, don't fuck around. <laughs> the Mac fuck around? Did you just say that? <laughs> Ronald, don't Mac fuck around. <laughs> With the news of this, the chief at the time flew the ferry flag, and just as the McDonald's were coming upon Dunvegan, they turned around and ran away because of what appeared to be a massive army awaiting them. The McDonald's fled back to their ships, which were sent back out into the water by a small group of McLeods who, you know, snuck around them. And, like, only a handful of the McDonald's men had managed to swim and reach their boats while the rest were slaughtered. I mean, cholesterol issues will do that to you. (laughs) Now I'm hungry for McDonald's. (laughs) Unintentional side effect of of this reading. This is getting, this is fun. Another tradition is that the flag was waved during a terrible cattle plague and it stopped the illness. But there wasn't much to find on this story and since it's so vague, it's likely it may not have actually happened. R.C. McLeod has a strong opinion that the flag was waved at the Battle of Glendale in 1490 then at the Battle of Waternish in 1580. So, Glendale Glendale was different from the Battle of Bloody Bay. Yeah. So more likely just the two, but there's two other, like, alternate options. Roughly, there's about... The Cattle Plague and then Bloody Bay were the possibles, and then Water... I want to keep saying Waterloo. (laughs) (laughs) Water-nish. Water-nish, okay. And after, after that, it's likely that the flag, though, has not been waved since. That third nuclear option is still available. Yeah, mostly out of fear, though, that it will disappear and the McLeods will suffer terrible disasters. I mean, have you seen the political system of the world right I'm, now? I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> After all that, it was kept back in its wooden box and iron chest until it was examined in the 1920s, which is where R.C. McLeod got a chance to look at it, and he actually said, I looked bigger when I was younger, which that makes sense. Looked a lot bigger when the, on the inside. Yep. The flag is still housed in Dunvegan Castle, and it can be viewed by visitors to the castle. Nice. So, so would, it's a concrete 
thing that is there. It's the not photo a, I sent ooh. you is very much a real deal. That is the flag. That's cool. It is. That's actually really I've nice. Seen a, I've seen a photo where it's actually <clears throat> hung up in like a glass case and everything. Yeah, up I'm on sure the wall. I'm sure on occasion they'll. I was about to say whip it out, but that's probably more for the horn. Uh, <laughs> phrasing, <laughs> unless you knew what you were doing. I knew what I was doing. I'm sure they bring the flag out and they actually put it on display for like occasions, like oh, certain yeah. things. I mean, it's the it's the biggest thing they have there that's like yeah. in name. Yeah, I have some little closing side notes that I think you'd appreciate. Okay. Uh, first off, a fire broke out in the castle in either 1938 or 1939, so late 30s, and once the flag was carried to safety, the winds died down and the fire was extinguished, so it was saved. Good. Then, during World War II, a member of the Clan MacLeod carried a picture of the flag in his pocket. He told the chief, he told then Chief Dom Flora that he owes his luck and survival to the picture of the flag. And I'm gonna bring her back again. Chief Dom Flora is sud- allegedly she offered to wave the flag at the cliffs of Dover to fend off the Nazis. Nice. And that's cool. Yeah, she was willing to go. I'll wave that flag against the Nazis. And I actually learned about this flag when I was in high school. My art director, uh, Mr. McClure, shout out to you, man. I greatly appreciate your influence on my life. Uh, he is proud to be of Scottish heritage. And the name McClure actually stems say, from um... McLeod. <laughs> it stems from McLeod. He told me the stories, and I was like, this is awesome. I've had that kept in my head for, it's currently 2023. I've had that in my head for nearly 12 years now. That story never, oh. those stories have never left my head. Yeah. And and he actually has, he actually, I think this may have some nice little uh, speculation is that that's why Hitler didn't invade England, was that he may have learned about the fairy flag, and he did not want the fairy and, army yeah. going up against him. Yeah. That's a possi- That's that possibility. I mean, with them delving into the weird shit that they did toward the back end of it. Yeah. Uh, and, uh... Hellboy wasn't so much, uh, made up more than it was... Had stemmed, had some stems in reality. So, uh, I kind of kept this from you, but we actually have a sponsor for this episode. Oh my god. This episode is brought to you by the Society for Historical, Old, and Rare Treasures and Trinkets. The Society for Historic, Old, and Rare Treasures and Trinkets, or SHORT, is dedicated to the, res- to the registration, recognition, and preservation of historic, old, and rare treasures and trinkets that are of a particular nature. You're, no, we, we literally, we actually have a response. That's a sp- it, that's the sponsor. Holy shit. The society was initially called the Society for Historical, Ancient, and Rare Treasures and Trinkets, but no one wanted to join a group called Shart. Now I feel like you're messing with me. <laughs> I had such high hopes, you, I was like, oh I my god. I was waiting for you to be like, wait, hang on a second. Its acronym is SHORT. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they thought it was funny. Tall and short. I was, I legitimately was, I was standing at one of my tables at work one day. And I was like, I kind of want to see if I can do like a joke thing here. Society for historic, old, rare treasures would have just been short. But I was like, no, short with two T's would be funnier. 
And there's only one member right now. That's me. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and their founding member's about to get killed off. Seriously. <laughs> you were like, oh my god. No, like, I legitimately <laughs> thought we actually had a sponsor. I was like, why did they pick us? Well, the society would like to recognize the fairy flag. Shut up. Fl- the fairy flag Shut up. Just say you. Just say you. <laughs> well... <laughs> <laughs> Just say you. Well, I do want to recognize the fairy flag of Dunvegan as well as the Dunvegan Cup and Sir Roy Moore's horns as re- as old, rare, historical treasures and trinkets. So I figure that fits with the bill. <laughs> if you didn't have such expensive things on this table, I would be flipping it right now. <laughs> I'm so glad that you don't want to do that because I... Mm-mm, we're not having that happen. <laughs> I'm just going to twist one of the knobs on the thing. Please don't. <laughs> Don't that 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 thing is sensitive. Don't anyway, but that has been, <laughs> but that has been the fairy flag of Dunvegan, Tony. Minus my little, <laughs> minus my <Dick>. little, uh, <laughs> minus my little Tim Shady moment at the end there. <laughs> minus that little aspect at the end of it. That's well, your new rap name. <laughs> Tim Shady. Yeah. <laughs> it's not mob spaghetti on your shirt. It's your blood cuz I punched you in the face. <laughs> but now, nah. uh, so but what all did, what all did you think about the fairy flag though, dude? I, I they need to make a movie of it. <laughs> It'd be a fun story. I mean, that would just like or a series, like a Disney Plus series or H, like the guys at Game of Thrones need to hop on this. And they need to redeem themselves for for that last season. Oh, I agree. And Game of Dragons or whatever the new one is. Because House of Dragons. That's that, it. Uh, I can't see anything, man. Ugh, Turn yeah. the brightness up. <laughs> Get your gamma going up. Yeah. No, I thought, yeah, that's... I didn't know they that the Scottish were the first to a nuclear device. <laughs> <laughs> well, just this particular family, but still. Yeah, well, you know, don't fuck with the McClouds. Yeah. Because the McDonald's found out. When I when I was researching this, I like I knew, again, the basic stories about, you know, the cattle. I had and... no, nothing. I came in blind on this one, and that's, I want a series now. Based I, off this. I think it would be a really good... I think it'd be really fun to witness all this. Yeah. Or or uh, stars show or something like the McClouds. Like how yeah. did the Tudors. Yeah. Ooh, that'd be really good. That Because yeah. that would be really well done. It'd be a little, uh, you know, dramatized, obviously. No, for, I mean, I mean, you it, mix, mix, sprinkle a little bit of Game of Thrones in there with the Tudors. A little bit of mysticism, a little bit yeah. of mystical aspects, absolutely. Get Ron Perlman to voice someone in there just because Ron Perlman. Make him the king of the fairies. Have yes. him king Oberon. Yes. <laughs> Have him king Oberon. Like, that's right, motherfuckers. I'm here. <laughs> Still smoking a cigar for some reason. <laughs> Now that's fairy weed. What are you talking about? Yeah. That's the good shit. Fairy. <laughs> that's the stuff you wake up three days later with. <laughs> well, what do we have planned for our next episode, Tony? Well, I'm going to talk about one of my favorite movie series up up until the new ones, and then we're also going to talk about the possibility of the subject still existing. Uh huh. It's um, going to be quite a Walk in the park. Ooh. Okay. I'm kind of digging where you're at. Or, you know, if you see one, run. Oh, yeah. Clever girl. 
of a of a girl. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, well, once again, everybody, thank you all for listening to Tall and Short with Tim and Tony. Don't but forget a- our sponsor. <laughs> once again, thank you to the Society for Historical Old Rare. Short. <laughs> old and rare rages and trinkets for sponsoring this video for sponsoring our uh, podcast drop a rate and review it does help us out like word of mouth does help a podcast out so please yep. tell your friends tell family tell your dog tell your cat and tell anybody just listen yeah. have them all listen to our podcast if you're one of our first hundred subscribers kim will kim who's kim who's tim. kim <laughs> tim tim, tim will come to your house and give you a hug personally mine's the t and I am. A, I do like giving hugs. I will ask permission first because that is that is what you're supposed to do. What? Just Get him! I'm a fucking weirdo. Have you listened to what you've talked about for the past hour and change? Yes and no. It's okay. Anyway, Alrighty then. All right. Well, we're gonna you go can, ahead and leave can, now. now <laughs> follow us on socials, Tall and Short Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, or you can send us an email to tallandshortpod at gmail.com. All the information is down in the show notes if you want to get to us there. And before I go, don't wander into the woods and drink from a fairy's cup. All right. Or do. Or do. And don't wrestle bulls. Or do. Bye. <laughs>